Hello everyone, welcome to the Unlawful Void edition of Romaniacs. I'm Dorian Linsky, this is the show that never sleeps. We've had two live shows and an emergency podcast already this week and it's still only Wednesday. It's a packed studio for reasons that become clear, so let's say some quick hellos to our regulars. Naomi Smith, CEO of Best of Britain, running back of Waltham Party Conferences, basking in the glow of that Supreme Court victory. <laughs> Hi Naomi, how are you? Good, still here, uh, still happy about yesterday. Well, amazingly, there was somebody uh, I met at the live show that said, um, oh, do we really have to meet at 8am for this vigil outside the Supreme Court? <laughs> name, why is Naomi doing this to us? And then it rained. And then I saw her on the news at the wow. vigil. Yeah. So she actually went and did it. Um, so it looked very exciting. Were you expecting the verdict to go that way? It was very hard to read some of the judges last week because they didn't say much. There were about four of them that really were doing poker face and not giving it away. So we were sort of hopeful but not expecting anywhere close to the unanimous uh, verdict that we got. So, yeah, we were really, really pleased. But it was a bit of a surprise for it to be as good as it was. On the news, I saw an all-star cast of former Romaniacs guests outside the court. Who were you with when the judgment came through? I was with the the Romaniacs uh, live people. We were there with uh, lots of Best Britain supporters stood right up against the railings. Um, I was getting a live readout from inside um, and everyone else was following with a delay on their phone. So I was able to say, we've done it. And then the crowd went mad and the cameras were pointing towards us and it was really lovely. And then we started our chant of reopen Parliament. Oh, it was nice really to see Anna Subri look happy. Yeah. She's not She's not, not often. An easy she's time. often <laughs> Also with us is Roz Taylor, who was on the panel for our Late Show on Monday. Hello, Roz. Hello. Um, there was some sort of pre-verdict nerves on the night. Uh, does that does it feel like a, a great weight off our shoulders? And how long before the weight is deposited on our shoulders again? Yeah, it felt great yesterday, briefly. I mean, it's, 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 it's just, with Brexit, it's this long kind of despair interspersed with moments of great hope and excitement. Um, and, and it was like that yesterday, and I kind of had faith in democracy again, and then, oh, God, yeah. So, um, yeah, the usual, usual uh, run-of-the-mill stuff. <laughs> Completing the regulars is Ian Dunt, editor of Politico.co.uk and a man who spent most of Tuesday tweeting baffled expletives. Hello, Ian. Is that every day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah but Sorry, no, it's meant to say every day. I just, <laughs> it's a typo. Um, so are you, um, so everyone's back in Parliament now. So that's exciting for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, quite exciting. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, t- today has got a weird atmosphere around Parliament. Like, in the morning, they're like these roving gangs of men with video cameras and photographs. So they look like they're getting geared up for war. And then slowly, like, the two leave and remain armies come along to start screaming shit at each other. So, like, if you leave Parliament and, like, someone, like, screams your name, you're like, oh, God, please let them be the good guys. Please let them be the good guys. We're talking about dealing with shit, the heavy, heavy, heavy rain yesterday. Um, you know the underpass from White, Hall that goes mm. under Whitehall up to um, the entrance of uh, Parliament. Um, there's two public toilets down there, and the heavy rain meant that there was literally raw in there to close the whole thing off. Mm. And there's the metaphors of Parliament is literally drowning under the weight of its own shit, <laughs> literally rather than just metaphorically wasn't wasted on us all, and it bloody stank. This week's special guest is Robert Webb, actor, comedian, author of How Not to Be a Boy, star of shows including That Mitchell and Webb Look. Clues in the name, Peep Show, where he played the useless Jeremy, and Back, which will literally be back uh, sometime soon. Hello, Rob, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, how's Brexit treating you? Oh, I try. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I try. I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't come here with any expertise. I, I see my role today as, you know, sitting in the corner as a kind of Martin Freeman everyman character. <laughs> so you will look thirty-five degrees away from the camera and kind of sigh. <laughs> that's that's what I'm here. I mean, you may hear me occasionally swear or, or just burst into tears, but really, that's that's kind of that's how it's treating me. That's how it's treating. Me. Um, were you were you happy yesterday? At least I was happy yesterday. Yeah, no, it was exciting. I'm only just recovering from uh, watching the Jeremy Vine uh, program today, where he said <laughs> there was some discussion about the Supreme Court uh, verdict, and he was saying, "I think I've met Jeremy. He's a very nice man. I'm sure he's a very kind man, and there are more important things than being clever." But he said uh, he said something <laughs> along the lines of. 
Uh, oh, 11-0. It sounds fishy to me. I mean, because it's very nuanced. So 6-5, that would be more plausible. And I just <laughs> I thought of it. Wow. David and I, David Mitchell and I once wrote a, 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 a radio sitcom for uh, Armstrong and Miller called Children's Hour. And a character called Craig Children, played by Ben, uh, at one point said, uh, oh, yes, it's, I mean, it's not black and white. It's not black and white, is it? Some things, I, I suppose, because you're clever. I suppose everything's grey when you're clever. <laughs> That's a, a kind of dumb person's idea of what clever feels like, and that everything should be grey. I like the it's, idea that also it needs to be, that a Supreme Court verdict needs to be plausible. Yeah. Like it's a kind like of screenplay. Like it's made up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that was very much it. But I think that, yeah, he was interpreting it as a Brexit thing rather than a legal thing. Um, and, you know, as, uh, I guess in Jeremy's mind, 52 versus 48% is equals nuance. So it should be, it should be more nuanced. <laughs> Damn you, reality. Um, your first novel, A Time Travel Romance Called Come Again, is out next year. Mm. Does, this person, does the character just travel back to early 2015, make a few key changes... Oh, and stay there. No, that would be far too. That would be a lot of hostages to fortune, there, Dorian. <laughs> because what is what is the present day? No, I try to avoid politics. Although uh, the middle section is set in 1992, which has a kind of you know a, the book is about love and grief and the, and the limits of nostalgia. And you know I feel a strange pull to John Major's seven years because you know there was a lot to argue about, and but there was this strange hippie adherence to the rule of law, <laughs> um, and you know. Two, you know, two years into that government, another five to go. It wasn't a Blair decade at all. It was a Tory decade. So it's a kind of interesting period. Well, if someone living in 1992 had time travelled to the present day mm. and would just like, wait till you see what John Major's like now. It's amazing. <laughs> Everybody anyone... loves it. It was amazing. It's kind of amazing because you get people like Major and Ken Clark especially. And, and you know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember Ken Clark as just one of those faces in, in, the, in a deeply divisive and some would say unnecessarily cruel Thatcher cabinet and these days he's fucking Gandhi <laughs> it's you know has he changed or have we just moved a long way in the wrong direction Is it, did anyone see the tweet that resurfaced from the uh, BBC Question Time Twitter yeah. this week from 1988 and it was Gordon Brown's first appearance on mm. Question Time and he was debating Andrew Neil and Andrew Neil was making like the unashamed case for a federal Europe and Gordon Brown was being all Eurosceptic <laughs> that's how much things have changed Gordon Brown was like steady on it yeah exactly <laughs> Life's a journey. Um, Rob's going to help us through the thickets of the Supreme Court case. <laughs> um, like like Toby Young, he's become a constitutional scholar in the space of an hour. If I say um, we're turning into America because that's the other system I've heard of. Yeah, yeah that's it. Okay, Brilliant. then that's... I've Nailed done, it. I've done it. That's it. I'm surprised Toby doesn't have a special, one of those special wigs to make him look more judicial. <laughs> And the fallout from the Labour Party conference after these few reminders from Roz. Our Democalypse 2019 live shows earlier this week were tremendous fun. And if you're a Patreon backer, you already know where our next Romaniacs live show is taking place. It's a bit of a change of location. And the best way to find out where and get discounted tickets is to sign up to support us on Patreon. Let's face it, the money from Michael Gove's Get Ready for Brexit adverts is going to run out sooner or later, as is the entertainment value. Search Patreon Romaniacs, pledge a small monthly amount, and you'll get every edition of the podcast early, plus first dibs on live tickets. And we'll be getting the weekly column back in gear as soon as possible too. It's all been rather hectic lately, you might have noticed. Find out how you can help the show and get those in-demand Romaniacs mugs, T-shirts and other extras. Search Patreon Romaniacs as soon as you finish Googling gifts of Lady Hale. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Roz. Uh, Now for some music. Spider brooch, spider brooch, gave <laughs> PM a big reproach, ruled his prorogation void, now his robes Pierre's annoyed. Look out, it's spider brooch. <laughs> so, a big day for Gina Miller, Joanna Cherry and Spiderwoman Lady Hale. The pound leapt after the verdict and MPs raced to be first back in the chamber. The first we spotted, I think, was Tom Tugendhat uh, tweeting from the benches. He wins a Romaniacs t-shirt. Get in touch with your size and address, Tom. Uh, Roz, on our emergency cast yesterday, uh, David Allen Green said this was the most important constitutional ruling in generations and enjoyed saying it. Um, Why is that? Well, it turned what was basically a convention into a law. 
and it's said that a Prime Minister could no longer prorogue Parliament without a really good reason. And that has always been taken for granted in the past, uh, but with our mad new world, uh, it's no, clearly no longer the case. So the Supreme Court said that, no, you, you, you can't prorogue Parliament without a good reason. Go back and sit down and go and discuss, discuss stuff again. Um, because uh, Dominic Cummings is an unparalleled genius, he's always eight steps ahead, <laughs> he briefed that whatever happened, they just prorogue again. Um, how, how would that pan out? Like how much, if they really just wanted to like front this out, <sighs> mm-hmm. uh, legally, what could they get away with? That would be difficult because Geoffrey Cox, the um, Attorney General, who was speaking in the Commons today, said that he would respect the judgment. However, uh, you can be quite sure that he will be combing very uh, minutely through it for any opportunity to find a another really good reason to prorogue Parliament as he sees it. So I don't have an awful lot of faith in that. However, I just think it would be... It, I don't think it could happen again, but perhaps I'm fooling myself. I think it would be just have too much chutzpah to prorogue Parliament again at this point. Naomi, the plaintiffs were careful about saying this was about preserving the law, not rolling back Brexit. And indeed, the government was very keen to say it was about the Queen's speech, uh, not pushing through Brexit. But I suspect there's a little bit of Brexit in there. Um, <laughs> just teensy beansy little bit. Where does the verdict uh, leave, leave Remainers? What, what options... Um, well, it do, so it just gives us a little bit more time, um, which is the key thing. So um, will they prorogue again? Uh, they're going to try to. Um, the lovely Romanian MPs are keeping their cards very, very close to their chests for very obvious reasons, uh, because they cannot afford to let Rhys Mogg find out what they're planning. But they are planning plenty, so be assured that they are working incredibly hard on it. Um, and they're closing all the different loopholes um, as far as they can to stop the government pulling any uh, tricks they may let them have a bit of a recess for Tory conference next week to let them just have a little bit of that but they may not um, and they're certainly going to do everything they can to to block any second prorogation um, but yeah I mean there's the, you know it's it's the usual um, season control of the order paper uh, and and doing everything that we we can now to get this second referendum um, Ian, Corbyn suggested on the Today programme that you might be able to deny the government permission to suspend Parliament even for the Tory conference. Mm. That that seems quite ballsy. Do you think that would, that would happen? You can just... Bad news for Manchester's hospitality industry <laughs> um, mm. and probably for the Conservative Party. I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. It's certainly something that they're talking about in a very sort of real way. Because there's no at this point, you sort of think... And this is also, it's sort of PR, really, because the reality of it is... We, the legislation that needed to be passed was passed before the prorogation took place, which is, you know, the, the, the bill. Act. The Ben Act, exactly. Yeah, sorry, it's an act now. Basically saying, look, we're going to take no deal off the table. So once that's done, in terms of what you really, really, really need to do, that's actually done that. And so now there's this quite weird reverse feeling on a lot of Romanians like, well, we do need to make sure that we're looking busy. Mm. Because we have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, shit. yeah. So, and there, there are loads of these QAs that have gone in. So you, what are they called? UQs. Mm. All these unanswered questions. So um, they've back-to-back them. They're coming up on all sorts of issues that are nothing to do with Brexit. So loads of stuff around Thomas Cook and other issues. And this is a way to send a very clear signal that there is shit that Parliament needs to be doing and talking about. There is very, very, very important stuff that we need to be... The domestic abuse. Yeah, exactly. There's lo- exactly. There's so much that, and so yeah. they need to send that warning shot. But similarly, the government need to try and put a Queen's speech and justify their whole rationale for prorogation in the first place. So they will move, move to try and do that. I'd say that the Remain MPs are a little bit split on whether they should allow them to do a, a bit of a mini queen speech or not um but yeah you, you're you're exactly right like there is there is stuff for them to be doing and they're, they're going to get on with it you know it's almost like parliaments are useful and oh. some sort of check on the executive <laughs> yeah. in terms of you know political crisis or otherwise um rob the reading the judgment uh, was very exciting and made an instant star of lady hale in one of those kind of weird social media politics moments uh but some people have uh, have warned about making a hero out of her uh, because you don't want a us style approach where judges are sort of heroes or villains it's that kind of like notorious rbg thing they mm. have well, that's because of course it is much more politicized between the liberal and the conservative judges uh 
I mean, do you think there's a danger of that, that it's sort of like the flips as as the, say, the right-wing uh, press and the Brexiters are trying to make out that the judges are biased, if we're just like, you go, girl? Yeah, I mean, definitely you go, girl. I mean, uh, and it, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't just the brooch, although it was mainly the brooch, wasn't it? But, um, no, of course, of course, you know, one gets very excited when you see somebody who really knows how to do their job really very, very, very well doing it and explaining to Boris Johnson why he's not allowed to do his job very, very, very badly. Um, so, you know, it's very exciting. And, that, that you know, that, that it's, it's, it's almost welcome back experts. The experts have come back for a moment. Mm. And it, it just had, I just had that feeling yesterday. Like, the feeling I got, I mean, you know, it didn't end well, did it? But the feeling I got in May 1997 when Labour were elected, and I just went, actually, I've just spent 18 years growing up in this country thinking this is a mean, nasty country. And actually, it's not like that. It's you know there are there are people who will elect a civilized government who want who want to do cool things, <laughs> and so and it, it was just a, a a mini version of that. That actually, okay, look, there's the, the grown ups just for a second, just for a moment. It's like the you know a break in the clouds. It's like it felt like you know the frustrating weather of a functioning democracy. Mm. Uh, it was uh, it was a moment. Well, I don't want to be uh, smug because. Partisanship. Oh, go on. <laughs> Look where we are. <laughs> you are a Ramona. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. Um, no, but partisanship can make you do, uh, you know, it's sort of very, very hypocritical and inconsistent. But I really don't think that if the judgment had gone the other way, I yeah. would have spent the rest of the day sort of exposing the backgrounds and social habits of the judges. Well, it's. I mean, it seems like very much something that they're doing that I don't think we would. Do, I think there's something about remains that we, you're just less likely to try and delegitimise judges. You, do, you see it from time to time, and it's funny, but also unbelievably upsetting and irritating when you see, you know, right-wing commentators or, or Brexiters talking to each other as if across, you know, on Twitter as if across a crowded room saying they don't, they still don't get it, do they, Julia? No, they don't, Toby. They don't get it. <laughs> you know, this is a room full of people who apparently don't get it that we lost the referendum. I mean, we really do get it that we lost the referendum. It's just that. Remainers were people who looked at that ballot paper and said, but how? But how are you going to do this? And they go, fuck! We don't know fucking how we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. Yeah, but yeah, but how, how are you going to do it? We're just doing it. Just get on with it. But, how, but OK, what, Mrs May's deal? Would you like... No, fuck that. I don't like that. Not about that. Well, how... how I, don't, I don't... I don't know how... Ow, ow, I've hurt myself. I don't know how. You fucking do it. It's... That's what it's felt like for three years. And so, you know, much as, you know, one wants to discriminate between the, 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 the people who simply voted leave, for whom I feel some, you know, look, look, we've only got each other, we've got to live with each other eventually. And, you know, you can quietly, they can quietly change their mind. You remember, I was, we were talking about the 90s. You remember those, maybe, those, uh, those plastic straps that used to come down off the back of cars with that sort of zigzag design. It was a sort of placebo for car sickness. <laughs> uh, and every, you know, every other car had one of these things trailing, making contact with the ground. And a lot of people thought, OK, that's cured my... Pot. Had absolutely nothing to do. I mean, people are still manu- manufacturing this now, so legally, I'm sure uh, those, those companies, their heart, they do it in good faith. Um, but you know, but those quietly just disappeared, and you didn't have to rub the f- rub their faces, their noses in it, and say, "You idiots! You've wasted one pound twenty nine or whatever it cost in 1988 to put this thing on the back of your car." People can just quietly change their mind, and you don't have to go. You know, it's 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 fine. So uh, you know, my, but my feelings for the the people who led the the prime movers of Brexit, Rhys Mogg and Francoise and uh, <laughs> Johnson and Cameron. You know, my feelings for them are less gentle. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> um, before Jeffrey Cox made his statement about accepting things, Johnson made a, a kind of speech in New York with his busy mate Donald, who's also had a quite the week. <laughs> um, saying that he respected the judiciary, it's the best in the world, but he profoundly disagreed and would carry on regardless, which is it's just a, a brilliant way to respond to any ruling that you, that you don't like, <laughs> mm. saying you just profoundly disagree. Um, was he, like, when you saw that, did you think that he there was, was a just bluster? Do you think there was any threat of him just somehow going... No, because no. because actually the, the judges took that out of his hands. They were basically, I mean, they came to the end and went, there's nothing, we don't need to do shit. They didn't use this language. Mm-hmm. It's mildly different. Uh, Prime Minister doesn't need to do shit. 
it's up to the Speaker of the House of Commons and the Speaker of the House of Lords, and they're going to do it. So there was nothing... He didn't have to comply. In fact, it was more humiliating than that. Mm. It wasn't up to him to comply. It was up to Parliament as a sovereign body. What was more... So, you know, what we were seeing there was constitutionally this murky constitutional structure that we have become rigid where it needs to be rigid against actual executive threats to the manner in which our country is run. So that was positive. But then the the other murkiness came over, and that was in Boris Johnson's manner. Because look, we've talked about this before, but so much of our political culture and our political system is based on there being a sense of honour to your conduct. And we have seen throughout this process basically the death of shame, that there is no such thing as political shame. And certainly if there is, Boris Johnson doesn't feel it for anything at all. He will lie as easily as he breathes. He will say one thing and then another. And he will do all sorts of behaviour that previously would have been completely out of bounds as if it had never taken place. Now, in any other situation, you would have expected certainly the Prime Minister to resign over this. If you just look at the statement, the Prime Minister illegally closed down Parliament. If you can read out that statement and go, what should follow from this statement? You think the Prime Minister should fucking resign and Jacob Rees-Mogg should obviously resign and so should the Attorney General. He's not going to do that. But not only not that, the crucial cultural thing was he didn't even show any fucking contrition. He didn't even show any sense of apology about the manner in which he'd done things, and he never, ever will. Well, do you think, to be the Attorney General, do you, I mean, can he survive? Will it be Cox out? I think he'll make it through. <laughs> That's, thank you so much for that, Dorian. That was... <laughs> bring us up to our best possible you, level. You, you can't do that on Brexit cast, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, he's gonna, I think he's going to make it through. I mean, for, for a while in the Commons today, he put in quite a good show where he was saying, look, you can question the judgment, but don't question the motives of the judges, which is, a, I think, a fair enough distinction to make. And he was all right then. And then he just fucking switched, man. Like he took the potion. <laughs> suddenly he just went apeshit and started screaming about how it's the, it, the parliament had no, no right to morally sit. It was a dead parliament. Now that stuff, that's really fucking pernicious. Because that is a parliament that was elected by the public under legislation that meant that it would have been there until 2022. So on that basis, for him to say it has no moral right to sit... Is, is actually quite abominable and it signals what the government's intention is, which is to, to sort of smear the reputation of the parliament if it's unable to close the parliament down altogether. So, so suddenly I went from thinking, actually, I'm fairly sympathetic to the way that you're going about this, just thinking, oh, you're absolute gibbering fucking maniac and I do wish you'd shut up. Unfortunately, he didn't. Was that when Barry Shearman went ape on him. Yeah, which is the angriest shit I have seen in my life in the chamber. I've never... I mean, he, he starts with, like, one hand in his pocket, the other hand out. And by the end of it, it looked like his mouth was going to, like, tear open his face. And, like, he was just screaming. I was way, like, fucking go on, Barry. And the way that he said barrister's bluster, like it was the most filthy phrase in the world. Um... Naomi, we're obviously very happy, um, but the other side seem to be quite cross about this. Uh, Levy, you and the Brexit press are pumping out the sort of narrative of uh, elite, unelected Remainer judges uh, and so on. Obviously, the whole point of the British judiciary is that it's unelected and not identified political parties. Um, how you can see the narrative already, and it's just it's another part of the elites versus the people thing. Yeah. Um, do you think that's just going to speak to the cool. that speak to the base? Yeah, it's just. Red meat for their base. Um, overnight polls from YouGov and Comrades show that the public back the Supreme Court. Uh, 49% on the YouGov one, 50% on the Comrades one, versus 30% not and 29% not. Um, and Farage has started doing lots of Facebook ads in the last 24 hours now, um, uh, which are sort of general election focused, and it's all this sort of people versus parliament uh, rhetoric and he's targeting them at his core because now Facebook publish everything you can see who their audiences are and it's it's he's he's just going after the base they're not persuading anybody new with this and fundamentally it's about the big papers backing Johnson in this because the Mail is still behind him the Sun is still behind him the Telegraph the Times to a certain extent because it's so freaking excited by the prospects for no deal Brexit like all the other papers that it just can't resist that having that you know excitement there I, they, it's them that is keep that is keeping Johnson in post if they turned against him he would almost certainly go well um David Allen Green spent the, the most of the day when he wasn't doing the podcast um 
correcting people who should know better, including uh, Tim Shipman, mm. who I usually respect, um, uh, sort of about about the role of the the courts, and because mm. Tim Shipman's going, well, obviously now we have to go to an American style politicized Supreme Court, and it was like, hang on, particularly since that's not how the American Supreme Court started out. It's like we don't need to immediately go to t- Trump era Supreme Court politics. <laughs> Do you think that um, people? Uh, he's obviously an intelligent man, but then there's, there's less intelligent people on the internet. Um, do you think people just, a lot of people just don't understand how the judiciary works? Even that phrase, unelected judges, just sort of betrays some sort of crucial lack of understanding of the role. Yeah, I know that they, they don't. And why should they? Um, a lot of them have not been told about how judges and how, about the how the three branches work in school. I certainly wasn't. I don't know if anybody else. I was born in, what, 1975 and I have no... Uh, they mentioned judges or yep. government or anything like that. Yep. Uh, it was... And now there is a citizenship curriculum, so maybe there is some of that going on, but I, most of it is optional, so I doubt it. Why, why, should, why should people um, know, particularly when the, you know, the press as well is so horrifically bad at explaining it? Um, I don't blame uh, people at that level at all. And it's it's also really confusing for people because you've got to remember, this uh, this case was brought by private individuals. Mm. Um, and so naturally, Brexiters say, oh, you know, who are, who is funding them? Who? How can they interfere in our democracy in this way? Well, the only way that this case would have happened is by private individuals funding it because there's there's no other way to... Well, yeah, to... on that, Best for Britain um, gave Gina Miller £40,000 towards her legal fees and that was crowdfunded. That was all from our People's Parliament Fund and that was thousands of individual donors. Donations. So this, this, you know, as you say, it, it was it was uh, private individuals, but lots of small, tiny donations supporting that because they uh, felt so strongly about. Let's it. end by returning to shame, absence of, um, and the the Akuri scandal. Akuri, Akuri. Um, so if another prime minister had given a model slash entrepreneur 120 grand of public money and visited her Shoreditch flat in the mid afternoon, and she'd lied about her address and her application. Um, it would be it would be sort of serious news. Why do you think this story is going to sort of grow? Yeah, uh, and get picked up. I mean, it is news, it but is it doesn't seem to be picked up in as many places as I thought. It right. isn't, maybe it isn't hurting him, but maybe... Is this a shame issue? Is this another question of, like, you front it out and it's not a thing? I don't get that. I mean, I think it's, on, it's been on the front of the mail a few times. I mean, it's it's been covered, I think, quite heavily on, on the Beeb. It's being raised in Parliament at the moment. There was the first day... That's Parliament. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's been, sorry, it's been discussed today in Parliament by friend of the show, Leila Moran, who who raised it um, against the DCMS. And obviously it's been taken up in the London Assembly. I think in the first couple of days, there's a bit of wariness, as there often is, because there's a lot mm. of, in newsrooms, there's a lot of chatter around the love life um, mm. in previous years of the Prime Minister. And there's lots of legal nerves ar- around that. Mm. Um, and I think probably on the first day, some of the, some of the reticence maybe from the BBC was, was let's just make sure mm. everything's mm. sort of here. But I mean, certainly at the moment, I see quite a lot of coverage of it mm. and... And what he's got fourteen days, well, less than now, twelve days or so before the GLA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this isn't going away anytime soon. No, journos. I mean, mm. the fucking the lobby. Like the, the lobby has lots of things against them, but when the lobby smell blood, they will fucking mm. they're going to come for you. Mm. And like he, he, you know, he did a lobby briefing where six times he just refused to comment on it, mm. like refused to deny all of this, and so like. You couldn't, you know, if you come in with buckets full of blood, like like a final scene of Carrie or something, just showered them everywhere. <laughs> like, you know, they would have just been like, no, I think there might there might be a story here, actually. It's also so like, they're gunning for him. It's like, it's not only his lack of shame, but it's kind of shame fatigue on our mm. part. And actually, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, what, yeah. what can you do next that will be surprising? I mean, exactly. It's like straight out of the Bannon playbook, though, isn't it? It's it's about demonstrating your virility and your manliness and you're having all these affairs with these much younger, more attractive women. Uh, he'll probably just be told to front this out and it'll just help him with his, his core base in the way Trump sex life does with his. Should we talk about the Labour conference for a bit? No. <laughs> there was, uh, I remember, some exasperation at an apparent stitch-up when Momentum Unite and the rest of the, the loyalists packed the floor to ensure backing for Corbyn's constructive neutrality policy on Brexit <laughs> on a show of hands. Um, Ros, was that a good look uh, for a party that was meant to be a, a, an optimistic movement uh, driven by member democracy? No, it was a bloody awful look. It was a terrible conference. It was a complete shit show. However, um, well, you no, know, you they must, were very well, no, lucky. How could something that starts with a failed attempt to remove the deputy leader by literally erasing the post <laughs> <Yeah>. be bad? <laughs> 
you ask a, a, an interesting question there, Doreen. It was um, like a real, like it was like it was fake John Hinkley. Because uh, Tom Watson said it was like Lee Harvey Oswald. It was like no, it's John Hinkley. <laughs> didn't work. No, it was it was um, awful. I mean, the fact that there wasn't much scrutiny of Labour conference really acted in Corbyn's favour because everyone's eyes were on the Supreme Court yesterday and they were very lucky that they didn't have more journalists there mm. um, being savage about it. Having said that, they managed to get a Labour policy in front of people which uh, abolishing private schools and that cut through and people talked about it and that is what a lot of people remember. So maybe that counts as a minor success. Also, the conference voted for freedom for, of movement, to protect freedom of movement this morning. This morning, I, yeah. moved, I knew they cancelled it yesterday. I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I don't know how much weight Hardly that Hardly anyone noticed. Um, yeah. I mean, I, was at, I, was, I went to the conference twice. <laughs> so I was there, then I had to come back for Supreme Court and then I went back again. Was it afterwards. very Moorish? It was very <laughs> boorish. Um, <laughs> it felt like there were two parties sharing the same venue for their conference. So there were two Brexit motions. There were meant to be two climate change motions because the unions couldn't agree on the 2030 deadline. So both were, were due to go down. They both got pulled. Um, and yes, and then the immigration uh, motion committing them to free movement um, went through uh, on the last day, um, which I wonder if that sort of lines them up for Norway. Mm. And a resurgence of the Kinnock position on things. Um, well, Kinnock's it, old position. Oh, well, yeah. Mutated into true, a garbled true, true. version of himself he is now. <laughs> no comment. Um, but it, 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 it did not feel like a party conference for a party that was, you know, imminently seizing the reins of government. Uh, definitely didn't have that vibe to it at all. Um, very, very, very flat. And there's certainly a sense amongst the uh, lefty pro European block of MPs that Corbynism now needs to continue without Corbyn um, and that they need to make much more space for a, a, a pro-Remain um, lefty to come through the ranks. And yeah, and then the, the Tom Watson thing was really interesting, the, the sort of the, the landsman failure to get that through. Um, clearly, landsman worrying about Corbyn going and the heir apparent not being yet successfully lined up enough to to become the leader um but apparently what was going to happen and maybe ian knows more about this than i do but if they'd managed it and they only didn't because one person turned up late to the vote and otherwise landsman would have got it through uh you would have had watson walk away with about 30 40 maybe more mps uh, maybe even 70 MPs, to sort of like an independent Labour grouping, um, which would have then laid the foundations for a GNU in a much more serious way, and then it would have almost been like a oh, challenge to the rest of the Labour MPs. Government of National Unity. That's yeah, right, yes. Two. Yes, sorry. It sounds, better. it sounds like a posh dessert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it, it, I don't know whether to sort of be like frustrated or relieved wow. that it didn't mm. go through, actually, because we may have been in quite a different different political environment if it had. R Rob, the, the vibe that I got from the reporting was a lot of people saw this as a, as a we like Jeremy vote. Um is that kind of the fundamental problem with Labour on, on, on many issues, that everything becomes a confidence vote in the leader? It, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I've kind of retired from criticising the Labour leadership. I mean, there are a lot of people that might buy my excellent first novel. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, you know, it, just felt, it just feels like, you know, 2015, Miliband screwed everything up. The, most of the Labour membership went into some kind of fetal position from which they are only just recovering really and and just because he's had a very lucky time he's a very lucky leader i mean for the you know as we were hearing you know the supreme court thing means that uh, that tom watson didn't do a speech which would have been i mean however it went if they cheered then that would be oh dear terrible division if they booed terrible division you know it was it was very it was good like that i mean I, you know i can't i mean i mean even you know there's never been in, under our stupid first-past-the-post system, there has never been a Labour majority led by someone from the left of the party. Even if you had someone with who was very hard-working and bright and charismatic and not 70, it would still be a very, very tough ask. With Jeremy Corbyn, it just... I, I just can't see it. I mean, I mean, they can't see it. I mean, they know. They know. That's why they're talking about his succession already. Do you think that there is a successor from that wing of the party that would kind of... Uh, Richard Burgeon. <laughs> Prime Minister Rebecca Long-Bailey. Not really. Laura Pidcock. <laughs> Laura Pidcock. 
Maybe. One. I mean, I, I know, but the, everyone they get really excited about. You're just like, really? Yeah, I mean, you look. I, really? I'm constantly Come looking. On, them. She's a woman who's, who who is a loyal Corbynite. It's like I'm not saying that, you know, she could grow into a really impressive politician. But it's like they go future leader. Have we had They'd Clive Lewis on the Romani- on Romaniacs? We well, I don't think so. I like, but they, they don't like Clive Lewis anymore, do they? Because he started to sound so remain, Yeah, so he's quite independent-minded. Mm. And he might be worth getting on the show, then. Oh, no, I like it. I like Clive Lewis a lot. Um, I just don't feel like he's in their kind of future leader zone. I found the whole week so weird. They're just so, so weird. Because even, like, I don't even object to the Corbyn leadership's position on the on the Romanians. I, I, I kind of get why staying neutral makes a sort of sense. I certainly don't feel passionate about the about it either way but when you just look at the debate of just like person after person getting up and all they talk about is just mm. support the leader support the leader no, no talk about the actual fucking content of mm. the thing mm. you just look at it and you, you know do you remember there was that thing of like not, you know not a cult that you'd get quite a lot of sort of backlash for, for calling it a cult and you're just like what other word do you expect me to use for the fucking spectacle of mm. this shit so mm. after a while you're just like even when you don't particularly disagree with them they just come, it comes across like such a pernicious kind of almost millennialist yep. fucking thing. It just seems like such a poisonous well, the, well, atmosphere. Well, the main criticism of Tom Watson is it's just disloyalty. Mm. Tom Watson has done a hell of a lot to keep non Corbyn Labour supporters sort of on board, but you know, with messages on anti Semitism, on, on Europe. Um, when people left to join the independent group, it was Tom Watson who was basically, mm. I got the impression, was really just going, no, to other people, don't leave. But, oh, because he's not loyal enough to Jeremy. There's just something very sort of, like, pathetic. But it always felt it. like that that's the way that it was going to go because in 2015, you know, when he turned up, those of us who'd heard of him thought of, of Corbyn, thought this is a bad idea because this, they're going to spend a lot of time trying to change the Labour Party and absolutely no time trying to get elected to change Britain. <clears> and, <throat> that, and that's sort of what's happened. He's, he's not interested in persuading people who don't already agree with him and neither are most of his most... Vocal supporters, so I despair. Mm. Their Brexit <clears throat> position um, polling showing that it's it's not clear. Understandably, Brexit Party and the Lib Dems are the ones that people feel they have clarity of what the position is. But even Labour Party members being polled say that the Lib Dem they they understand the Lib Dem position much more clearly than they do. Course- the Labour position. Good luck selling that on the doorsteps. You know, the but even if you like the Labour position, it's not clear. No, exactly, exactly. It's it, it too may complicated. Be, yeah. It may be, you know, credible and just, but it is going to be a hard sell if you're a canvasser. I don't um, think it is that complicated. I actually, I no, find myself it, weirdly defensive towards compared it. to the others. It is. If you try, if you, how often no, it is. do you canvass people? Because they're going to the go doorstep. and they're going to go yeah. and negotiate. No, I, I you hate, don't. I hate right. meeting humans, and I and I try never right. to talk so to them unless they're in this room. However, I don't. I don't think it's impossible to just go like we're going to try and get a deal, and then we're going to offer you a vote on the deal. I don't. I don't think the complication isn't the problem. The problem is that they're not on one side or another when everyone is. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I see that there's an electoral problem there. But but the, the complication thing, I just don't... I, I do think people are smart enough to comprehend that. Well, I think what what is true is that what unites them is if there is a referendum on a Conservative deal, they back Remain. That is the one thing yes. that they are now totally united on. So what we need to push those Labour MPs into is that second referendum and get more of the Labour waiver MPs, particularly in the north of England, over onto that because they're the you know the final hurdle to get the numbers to get it through because that is one thing that the Labour Party is united on. It falls down when it's mm-hmm. post um, a general election. And, and that freedom movement thing also, by the way, suggests... I mean, if they stick to that freedom of movement motion that they've now passed, and they won't necessarily. I mean, other things have been passed. The private school thing that was passed on the floor of conference sounded very different to the shit that Jeremy Corbyn was saying this morning on the Today mm. programme, where it was like, oh, we're going to take away VAT status. And mm. it was like, ah, that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about pretty much just taking that shit over. Executing the headmasters. They went a bit further on that conference. But if they do stick to it in the negotiation for the deal, if, if you've gotten rid of the freedom movement problem, if you're now officially going to stick to it, then that's there aren't, there's no, you it? just go into the single market. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're just, single you're, market, not so. Yeah, yeah. No, you're Jesus done. Christ. You're completely done. So you would. But that's so never. Go, Fine, it's <laughs> um, we've given it uh, the conference a mixed review. Um, but do you think it. Have <gasps> we? But do you think it sort of ended well? Because I was in absolute kind of raging despair. Uh, over the kind of like the weekend and, and Monday. Um, and then the Supreme Court verdict happens. Johnson's on the rope. Suddenly, Corbyn's speech seems pretty good. His Today programme interview, pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was like, does he, did he end well because he can only do well when Johnson, when all the attention is on Johnson's problems? 
I, there's, I think there's something to, that's certainly true for the final speech he did at, at the conference, probably. And, and also, you know, it's quite a pathological sort of party. So they, they can want to murder each other one second and then they're all in some great big group loving the next. And mm. that will happen maybe anyway. But the Today programme interview, I thought, was like genuinely interesting good. this morning. Yeah, he good. comes across, and it's not the first time I've heard him, but I remember he was a bit like that during the general election. When, do you remember the interview with Paxman where... You know, Theresa May wouldn't debate him face to face, so it was them one after another. He has this sort of persona that suddenly comes over when he doesn't look like he just wants to kill every single member of the media. It's great when he's talking about someone else, and and also, hmm. you know, he 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 is genial and and, and likable sometimes, and uh, and I think it helped that it wasn't Humphreys, and Humphreys is yes. gone, and so so he's not at it. But I mean, the interview with Ma, he's it's back to this kind of very petulant, very defensive, very I want to talk about the media the whole time. I want to talk about how the BBC, you know. All that stuff, which is which, surely nobody likes. But when he, you know, when he's talking about something he's passionate about, he's a very talented campaigner. I've never, you know, I've, I've, I'd never uh, disagree with that. Which is probably why it's a good idea that he, if there isn't a second referendum, he stays neutral because no one's going to believe him if he goes around saying that I, you know, I'm interested in Remain. It's better. Mm. I think the Remain campaign would want him out of the way, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> win win. Our special guest this week is Robert Webb of Mitchell and Webb, Peep Show, Back, and being a Brexit obsessive on Twitter. Um, <laughs> one of my favourite presences on Twitter is your fellow Back cast member, Jeff McGiven. Oh, who is yes. a guns, guns blazing Remainer, but yeah. lovely with it. Yeah. Um, is it is it one of those? Uh, is is Brexit kind of a big big conversation topic on on set? When oh, blind! Well, we haven't made it for a couple of years now. So um, Jeff is actually obsessed with AI, not the movie, um, but the <laughs> the oncoming storm of technology. He's he's really worried about AI. It made me want to read um, Tom. Ch- I've never said this word out loud. Chivers, yeah. Chivers, not Chivers. Okay. It made me want to read his uh, excellent looking book. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we didn't. So when was it? It was 2017. So yeah, I mean, we were talking about it a bit, but um, no, it doesn't come. I mean, the thing about a filming day is everyone's a bit. Everyone got up at five, and uh, you're and the actors are either worried about their lines or bored or, or both, uh, and because you know the bit in between action and cut is like. 10, 15% of the day, and the rest of it is watching David Mitchell do a crossword. Uh, and uh, Or I, I, should, I should get a better hobby, really. Uh, um, but there's, you get know, your own crossword. There's a, there's a certain amount of chit-chat, but, um, but it doesn't... I, I think sort of high-adrenaline stuff about that, that takes up unnecessary energy about, like, for example, politics doesn't, doesn't come up that often. I did a pilot for, for the BBC once with Peter Egan, who used to play... The the smarmy next door neighbour in ever decreasing circles, Paul. There was a wonderful moment where Richard Bryce says to him, "He can't get his car started," and Richard Bryce says, "Why don't you give it one of your smiles?" <laughs> and uh, anyway, but Peter Egan was uh, both a massive uh, Brexiter and a massive Corbyn fan, and wanted to talk to me animatedly about both <laughs> um, before a take. And I'm kind of, I'm really feeling a little bit. <clears throat> I'm so, sorry, darling. Sorry, darling. It's, uh, just, uh, we're men of the left. We take things to heart, don't we? I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, darling. Yes, we're men of the left. Can you shut up now, Peter? <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. on set conversations tend to be low. Um, presumably, you saw the, the, the Twitter game that's going around about how various uh, sitcom characters were devoted. Oh, yeah, yeah, and there yeah. Was, obviously, there were some various different Peep Show God, versions. That went on forever. But there were lots of... And they got quite obscure. I was like, I don't even know what the show show is. But And also, there were multiple Peep Show versions because one take mm. is that Mark would vote leave because he likes w- war and discipline. Um, and Jez would be a, a vibey liberal remainer. But then Mark is also very sensible and status quo-y. Mm. And Jez seems unlikely to ever vote. I, so can you can you give decisive judgments on these? No, I can't. I can give you an opinion. I do not write Peep Show. <laughs> I did not write Peep Show. But um, my my take would be, I mean, I changed my mind quite often. I changed my mind about how Peep Show characters would vote for Brexit. As Jeremy often, would forget. As often as I changed my mind about Brexit. Jeremy probably didn't vote. So but it's, if, I agree. But, I if, agree. but if, if Jeremy voted, it was certainly leave because he wants to shake some shit up. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that was his whole, it's sending a message mm. to Westminster kind of, yeah. Fight. Same as two pounds. He, 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 he would he would interpret that as the punk uh, as the yeah. punk vote. Uh, Mark certainly voted Remain, yeah, because he's a cautious fellow. Mm. 
Would Superhands be one of those like those former um, communists, like Alaric Super, Bamping? Superhands just drew Would a just cock and balls leader. on the ballot. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that or a Brexit Party MEP. So. <laughs> yeah, because they all kind of dress like you would imagine Superhands to dress if he had to turn up in court. <laughs> um, you grew up in Lincolnshire, mm. uh, which is uh, home of Brexit. Is very Brexit, yeah. home of Brexit. Um, other things as well. You and Brexit, um, Tennyson, Margaret Thatcher, Brexit, <laughs> and now me. And now you. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's it's batting kind of fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, do you? I mean, do you still have family around there? Are there are there, are there kind of uh, exciting I do, I, conversations? I do. I'm, you know, when it comes to Lincolnshire, I'm I'm for them, I'm of them, but I don't necessarily know anything about them anymore. I mean, I I I, I grew up there. I spent twenty years there. I was born in Boston, which is the most heavily mm. voting town. Mm. Um, but I mean, I've got two older brothers uh, who still live there. I think they were both Remainers. In fact, I know one was. I choose to believe the other one. Um, but he's getting quite annoyed with. The EU, there's some cut through there that he's he thinks the EU are being intransigent and he's starting to change his mind. It's going mm. the wrong way. Mm. But I don't know what he'll do. Um, I've got a, a couple of school friends and, a, and, a, and my English teacher. But they're, I mean, they're all Remainers, really. And I, so, I, you know, my brother works with farmers. His job is to, he buys potatoes and other veg from the farmers and he sells them to supermarkets. And he was saying all the farmers were leave. And he was, at the time, perturbed by that and kind of thinking this is not a good idea for you guys. But um, it's a, I, I find myself quite torn about it, really, because, look, I... I wanted to be an actor, so I moved to where the work was. I moved to London. I walked down the street in, you know, London's famous Soho or West Hampstead, where I live, and I hear lots of different accents, lots of different voices, and it doesn't bother me because I chose to live in a world city. There are people in Boston who didn't make that choice and who... Don't they, have to see many when, people who speak other languages well, well, and don't well, do well. Actually, this is the thing. Boston. About, uh, yeah, the Lincolnshire has Yeah, because, because there's so much um, agriculture and uh, so right, seasonal, right, yeah, seasonal, seasonal workers coming in. So there's a lot of Polish people around. And, and the people who chose not to leave or weren't in a position to leave, they, they, they're not quite so comfortable about that. And I can't tell them how they should feel about it. I can call them names, but I don't think it would really help. But, you know, they're just people who they, they don't want to live in a world city. They want to live in Boston. They want it to stay pretty much the same as it always was. And I have some some sympathy for that. Well, on our live show this week, James O'Brien, uh, his sort of uh, sort of sympathetic reading was there's a lot of people. It wasn't just we want Brexit as we want to matter once. We mm. want to affect things in some in some way or another. Um, and that is why so many of them, I think, are sort of clinging to that season. It's like, this is the time that we were heard. And we won because, of course, in first past the post, a lot of the time people feel their vote doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you think, does that ring true? That yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a, there's a, Lincolnshire is tremendously isolated. I mean, it's a huge county, but it's, nobody lives there. And it's, uh, well, not many people live there. And it's, you know, from where the village I grew up, you have to drive for an hour before you get to the first dual carriageway, which is the A1. I mean, it's which also known as the Lincolnshire Bypass. I mean, it, it, it is very isolated. But uh, what I remember w w growing up in what was a working class stroke, lower middle class, I mean, we, we read the Daily Mirror and we drove second-hand cars and we watched Only Fools and Horses. And um, uh, the, we didn't mind. In fact, you'd be watching the weather and so there'd be the national weather map and they'd have highlighted Lincoln. And you'd go, hmm. Lincoln. And it was like, oh, okay. It's like, it's like we were famous that night. Um, but the rest of the time, we didn't really care that we were so completely ignored. And, and it doesn't really have that much of a, unlike a, you know, a proper northern city like Manchester or Liverpool or, or you know, the West Country or Scotland, it doesn't really have a massive sense of itself, really. It is it, kind of, it's so... Nebulous, really. I mean, um, so it, I think I think it didn't. We didn't really care that we were totally ignored until I guess you know. Again, it's this thing of the referendum coming straight off the back of austerity, austerity. Mm. and so you're being asked, "Is there anything that slightly fucks you off at the moment? <laughs> Please vote for me." And mm. you know that that was what was really dumb about it. And you go around towns like Skegness, which you know, as far as I was concerned, when I was seven, was literally the best place in the world. <laughs> Um, you know, I've been back since a couple of times for, for filming reasons and it's it really is very run down and, mm. and no one looks very healthy. 
and you know it's 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 tough there and i i can imagine why they're they're kicking off it's just that none of it is to do with the eu hmm. one of the clips that i notice is always popping up often in relation to many politics stories particularly brexit stories is the is the mitchell and webb look sketch with the um, nazis ask are we the baddies mm-hmm. was that one of those it's sort of in in the world of gifs that is your, uh, yours and David's lasting contribution. It was um, written before GIFs existed. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, was that one of those ones where you, where you think, uh, like, like a hit single, where you just go, this is the what, when GIFs are invented. This <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? We just go, this is, a, this we... is a brilliant resonant point. Or has it, it sort of surprised you how, like, it, it sort of has a life of its own? I, uh, I'm much more arrogant than that. I'm just disappointed it's our only famous sketch. Um, but it, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's great that people still really like it. I think we knew we were onto something. I mean, I, I can't remember whose idea it is, so therefore I'll, I'll claim it's mine. Um, but the way we used to write sketches, we'd go to the pub um, and come away with five or six ideas and then write them up the next afternoon. So I we we clearly did, because it's it's sketch one, episode one of series one of, of that series. So we clearly had some confidence in it. Otherwise, it would be sketch... 14 episode 5 those are the ones to look out for are they yeah. just like oh I mean, not that one if the sketch two thirds of the way through episode 5 yeah. is as good as anything uh no <laughs> it's yeah that that would be the least uh, strong sketch so as long as that was as good as uh, uh contemporaries that we did not admire uh, uh what they would put in episode one <laughs> and then we thought we were doing a good job but does that sort of uh, does that sort of speak to the political um, climate at the moment, where you're just sort of, you're just, you cannot believe that your political opponents don't realise that they're bastards? Yeah. Just like, come on, man! You're trying to like tear down Parliament and the judiciary. You're kind of racist. You don't give a shit. How can you not know that you are the baddies? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm really sorry that we, yeah, that it was so prophetic. <laughs> because you do just sense two tribes just staring at each other and just baffled in comprehension and and loathing, and that's why you know I wish we could end this podcast with a plea for tolerance, like all good episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh dear. <laughs> I do hope that in the GIF, and just people who only consume culture through GIFs don't think that, that David Mitchell is, uh, is actually, actually a Nazi. Yeah. No, that would be a shame, because he's not really. <laughs> <laughs> I can exclusively reveal. Not a Nazi. Good to know. It's official. <laughs> um, your book, How Not to Be a Boy, uh, looks at the miseries of, of masculinity in the form of a memoir. Um, Brexit does seem to be full of angry, damaged men. <laughs> Do you feel like there's a kind of there is a there is a sort of uh, toxic masculinity to a lot of? I mean, I'm, I've got a picture of Aaron, Aaron Banks in my mind at the moment. But do you mm. think there is? You know, when you kind of like psychoanalyze Brexit. I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, and I I shouldn't really. So da- you're not a psychiatrist. Dave's not a Nazi. <laughs> <This is laughs> We've got a whole list of things we're not. Not. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, sometimes it, it, it's not so much masculinity that reminds me of it. it reminds me of uh, addiction. It looks like people who have discovered some vo- not discovered, but they 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 sense some void that they have to fill with external things, and they all never get in this case despising foreigners. And they will never. I'm talking about the ERG types and the you know and the, the resmogs and the, that they'll just never. They'll never be enough. And uh, uh, I mean, it's not even a proper death cult. I mean, with you know, with with say heavy drinkers, heavy smokers, they think the risk is an early death. Whereas in fact, in their more serious moments, we, they stroke we realize it's not. The risk is not early death. The risk is. Uh, ten wheels, uh, ten years in a wheelchair, followed by early death, mm-hmm. and it's like the Brexiters currently haven't noticed that you know Britain's going to spend a decade and a half not being able to wipe its own ass, and that that's that's the risk is the, the all of the anguish and humiliation and resentment and guilt and hopelessness that comes with that. Not de- death's fine. Death doesn't hurt. Death, you don't feel it. That's what they. I'm so I just feel like. And it's partly, you know, you say masculinity and there's all this martial language about, you know, surrender and the EU and the Nazis. And it feels like to them the, the bombs have been falling in their heads for years and the, the, they live in this 
one of the safest, richest, freest countries in the world, and it's not easy doing all three at once, and yet they find it intolerable mm. because they have to deal with these foreigners in some way. When, um, when you look at uh, the stuff that's going viral around Thomas Cook, um, it's mm. not any of the horror stuff about the thousands and thousands of people that lose their jobs in the supply chains and the people stranded. It's the feel-good stories about the whip-around that they had for yeah. the elderly couple who now can't go on their cruise. And it's that blitz spirit, but we'll be all right no matter how awful the shock. We'll all, we'll all be all right together. I've got, I've got some time for the idea that some of this is baby boomer guilt, mm. that they are, the, they are the sons and daughters of soldiers mm. and they haven't done the same. Yeah. And now can we have a bit of that because I'm sure we'd have done it quite well. Really. Is it, well, is that the it's kind of the machismo behind No Deal, mm. which is just like, why are you scared of No Deal? Are you weak? Mm. Yeah, but, but, but again, it's not No Deal because, as we, as I'm sure, has been said many times. As I know it's been said many times because I'm a fan on this show. Is that is that it's not No Deal? It's not a clean break. It's it's a rolling crisis for years and years and years. That's not what they're gearing up for. They're gearing up for it's that's it. There'll be a there'll be a cataclysm and we'll be fine. No, there'll be an ongoing dreary decline i mean even with a deal there will be a there will be a serious decline over the next 10 15 years and that's why it was a really bad idea it's just shit war, isn't it? It's shit. You know, war. I'm not going to be able to buy the stuff I like in the supermarket. It's not even a good war. I mean if you want to go through it then actually call to declare war on china that would be a good war. Sure. But you know for but good. decisive. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to name uh, this writer um, but he was around during World War Two, and uh, oh, wow, Wait, yeah, who could it be? I, don't, I, can't, I can't imagine. No, actually. Like, it's could really be anyone. Could be one of many. Yeah. Um, anyway, he um, he his in his war diaries. Um, he's basically and his war his war letters. That he he wrote. He was a journalist. Oh, right. He was yeah. a writer. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, he was. Yeah. Oh, it was a man. It was a man. Yeah, right. moustache. Um, and anyway, he said that. Um, he said, the thing is, he goes, it's not the fear of a bomb landing on you. It's not the fear of death. It's just like the grinding irritation and tedium hmm. of the blitz, of just not being able to get proper fags hmm. and, and not being able to get kind of, new, you know, new shoes and having to like queue for stuff and just like everything being kind of gritty and grimy. <laughs> and I think that's it. A lot of people sort of remember the blitz just like, whoa, like very dramatic because generally that's, that's a kind of cultural memory, but not the kind of like the actual just low-level sort of stone-in-your-shoe irritation of it. Mm. I like your book about 1984 very much. Well, I'd say that with everyone listening. <laughs> OK, it was George Orwell. Before we go, if you like Romaniacs, you'll enjoy our new companion podcast On the House with territory refugees turned freedom-loving Lib Dem MPs Sam Jima and Philip Lee. Now that the Commons is sitting again, they can return to the original plan of talking politics over a pint after Parliament. Actual Parliament. Thanks, Supreme Court. There's a new episode every Friday to make sure you subscribe to On the House on your favourite podcast app. From the current episode, here's Telegraph Westminster editor Owen Bennett bowling Sam and Philip a tough one. The, the second word in the title is Democrats, right? So surely you guys should stand down and trigger by elections and say to the people who voted you in as Conservatives, do you want me as a Lib Dem? Well, there's a general election coming very soon. One. Two. In my case, the reason why I am where I am is because Boris Johnson withdrew the whip. And I was not a member of, a, of the Conservative Party. I want to be a member of a party, and he can't blame me for choosing a party that I think represents my values. So... He triggered it. He triggered the situation himself. The elephant in the room is Brexit. It needs to be sorted out. The public want it sorted out one way or the other. I don't think precipitating by-elections is where we are. We need to get on with it as the parliament, in Parliament when we're allowed to. Then people will have a say, and, and that's the way it should be, I think. We're at the end of the show, which means the Brexit time capsule, container of everything we will need or miss if we ever leave the EU. Uh, Rob Webb, uh, you, you get to choose. What's going in there? Uh, a C grade or above at GCSE citizenship. <laughs> I, I had to look that up. I thought there might be a GCSE civics. So obviously, they have to give it a name that's difficult to pronounce and, and slightly weirdly emotive. Um, but yes, it covers the same area, you know, finding out who is actually in charge in a parliamentary democracy, the clues in the name. Um, I think everyone doing that for two years would uh, leave us all in a better place because we will have to make friends eventually. <laughs> 
Education, education, education. <laughs> this week's foreign language clip is in German from listener Tom Phyllis in San Francisco. Kein guter Start, Boris. That means not a good start, Boris. <laughs> Let's have your foreign language clips, record them on your phone and send them to info at romaniacs.com and we'll use the best ones. And that's the show. Thank you, Naomi. What are, you, are you back on the chain gang? <laughs> I, I don't even know what day of the week on it is. Most of the times, so God knows. Yeah, I'm not going to Tory party conference, although best for Britain will be there. Uh, Ian? I'm not going to fucking go to the Tory party conference either. Ros, will you be going to the Tory party conference? I'd love to. I love party conferences, but nobody has invited me and I can't afford the fee. Sorry. No. You like them? Yeah, I love them. God, they're so dreadful. No, but I love them. It's like someone with like a bit of sandwich in the corner That's why of I love them. at two in the morning. Ah! Like a fucking hotel bar and just like, oh, please just shut up. <laughs> no, I, 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 can't, I can't lie. I, I just love them. Sorry. <laughs> well, there might not even be one. So who knows? Thanks for coming in, Rob. Uh, you, a plug opportunity. What? What okay. have you got? Plug, plug. <laughs> no, when's your when's that? When's your when's your novel out? You may know me from such novels as uh, <laughs> uh, I've written a yes, grief-stricken, time-traveling rom-com with jokes. It's a genre book, uh, and it's called Come Again, uh, and it'll be out next spring. Uh, it's not available to pre-order, but it's very funny and very good. <laughs> Things will be better next spring, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's an act of faith that I'm publishing a book at all. <laughs> You're assuming there'll be enough paper. You're assuming there'll be a, assuming there'll be a civilization. It's time for our theme tune by the legendary corner shop. It's called Demon is a Monster. You can get a free download of it at ampleplay.co.uk. Why not do that as we thank our latest Patreon backers? Hello, and thanks from me to Victoria Berryman, Graham Smith, Thomas Maxwell, Bob Bright, Olivia Fox, Timothy Knappman, Dizia, Darren Vitarana, Rob Kay, Emily Walton, and Ian Dolben. Thanks from me to Darren Dodd, Helena Stephen, Anne Tonks, P. Mulligan, Tom, Catherine Walker, Andrew, Catherine Braun, Kevin Tobin, and Stephen. Hello and thanks from me to Peter Chain, Mark Etherington, Luis Garrido, Steve Hillier, Stuart Lee, not that Stuart Lee, Gary Uren, Debbie Jukes, Christopher Finch, Richard Taylor and Gareth Close. And thanks from me to James Walker, Dan Lawson, William, Tom Kirkham, Tammy Lake, Dapper Cyborg, the best kind, Paul, Nicky Bond, Alexander and David Gardner. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith, Roz Taylor and Ian Dunt. The producer is Andrew Harrison. Audio production was by me, Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production.